Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. First Samuel chapter 31, verse 1. Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Geboa. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Abinadab and Malkishua, the sons of Saul. The battle pressed hard against Saul, and the archers found him, and he was badly wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it. Lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. But his armor bearer would not, for he feared greatly. Therefore, Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell upon his sword and died with him. Thus Saul died and his three sons and his armor bearer and all his men on the same day, together. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can be seated. Let me pray, and then I want to jump right in. Got a lot of ground to cover today. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We want to see you today. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Whew. So, Morning, Hill City. Nice, uplifting few verses to get us kicked off. It's going to be uplifting, I promise. We are going to see the beauty of the gospel this morning, I promise. My name is Brad. It's an honor to be the lead teaching pastor here at this church. We do have a lot of ground to cover. So listen, I want to jump right in, and here's what I want us to see today. I want us to really, I think God will give us a glimpse a peek, a look-see, right inside of the heart of David. We want to see in his heart. Now, David, he's on a good path right now. He's close to God. He's close to Yahweh. Now, last week we talked about the Davidic covenant. And you got to know, that was a little bit out of order, but that's the week that, that, that Rusty could be here, and I wanted to teach on that. So we're going to go back, pre-Davidic covenant, and we got to take care of some things. So just just. But let me do a little review with you. Can we review? Okay. So we started this series off. We talked about pathway, and we talked about idolatry and how those are motifs that run throughout Scripture. Raise your hand if you remember that. Okay, you're with me. Good. Then we saw Israel, that they asked for a king. And God said, no, this is idolatry. The reason they're asking is just the same old idolatry from when they, when they made the golden calf. It's, so just let's give them what they want. So guess what? They got King Saul. King Saul was a disaster. His life was a tragedy. We see today that it actually ends in suicide. God chooses David. Now, Samuel, right here in this passage, we need to know that Samuel has died. We haven't talked about that, but he has died. Saul is an absolute mess, and he's actually at battle, as he was all the time. And here, Saul wants to hear from God. 
okay? Now you think, awesome, he finally wants to hear from God. No, Saul only wants to hear from God when Saul's in trouble and he needs help to get out of trouble. So Saul goes to God. That was the pattern of his life is that he would just go to God as you would go to a genie in a bottle and be like, please give me this wish. I w- I, God, God, please don't let them kill me. Please let me win this battle. That was the pattern of Saul's life. So God doesn't come to him. So what does Saul do? Well, this is a wacky passage of scripture. You want to go back and read this? Do this. They, I'm telling you, I'll make a movie out of First and Second Samuel. Saul goes to this witch lady, okay, and he's like, I need to hear. I need to hear from God. I need to hear something. So he's like, get Samuel here. And he has this witch lady like summons Samuel's spirit. And Samuel like shows up. It's weird. Okay, listen. First Samuel chapter 28, go read it. But here's what Samuel tells Saul. He says, Saul, tomorrow you and your sons are going to be with me. And Saul's like, that's not what I wanted to hear. In other words, Saul, tomorrow you will die. So that is what Saul, that's what happened with Saul. And we just read that passage. Now, meanwhile, 1 Samuel chapter 30, we see the Amalekites. Now, you remember the Amalekites. They were supposed to be wiped out by Saul. He didn't do it. He disobeyed God. Well, guess what? They just keep coming back and causing trouble, coming back and causing trouble. God knew that was going to happen. That's why he told Saul, wipe them out. Don't keep any of them. Saul didn't listen. Well, now there's some Amalekite trouble. And what the Amalekites did, David had his own army. He was out fighting another battle. And while David and his men were out doing that, the city in which all of David and his mighty men and his armies, where they lived, the Amalekites go to this city and they capture all the soldiers' wives and their kids and they take all their stuff. And then the Bible tells us in chapter 30 of verse 3 that the army comes home to find their city burned with fire and their wives and their children were taken captive. So imagine being out to battle. You're finally coming home. You're like, okay, finally I get to see my wife. I get to see my kids. I get a little bit of rest. And you walk and over the hillside and you see smoke. And then you get down to the city and you realize everyone that you love is gone. Let's put ourselves in the steps of these tired soldiers. And in verse 4 of chapter 30, it says that all of these men, they all wept until they had no more strength to weep. And what does David do? Because David was included. His family was gone. And all of their minds are like, it's over. Everything we love is gone. They've killed and taken our family. But what they didn't know is that no one was killed. No one was killed in this capture. All of these, all of these people and, and the families of these soldiers, they were actually taken to be made slaves. They could have sold them to make a lot of money. But David and his army didn't know it, and they, were, they wept until they could not weep anymore. And if you get to verse 6 of chapter 30, it says, And David was greatly distressed. Of course he was. But on top of losing his family, then it says, the people spoke of stoning him. You got us into this, David. All of our family is gone. We're going to stone him. And what does David do? At the end of verse 6, it says, but David 
strengthen himself in the Lord his God. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. So we're, gonna, we're just going to step out of the story right here, get practical right out of the gate. How do you strengthen yourself in the Lord your God? It's a very important word that I want us to see here because David shows us how he did it. It's, it didn't say David strengthened himself in God. It doesn't say David strengthened himself in Yahweh. It said David strengthened himself in Yahweh, his God. It's a very important word because what we see here is that David had a close and intimate and personal relationship with God. See, David didn't wait until there was trouble then to seek the Lord. He lived close to Yahweh. So then when trouble came, it was easy for him to seek and to be strengthened by the Lord, his God. So here's the deal. Who in this room, who in this room can say by a show of hands, the Lord is a good shepherd? Come on, we're going to get active here. I'm going to have you talking here in a minute, so you might as well get your hand in the air. Keep them up. The Lord is a good shepherd. Okay, now listen. That's easy. What, here's where the struggle is. Can you say confidently, the Lord is my shepherd? I want to hear it on a count of three. The Lord is my shepherd. One, two, three. He's your shepherd. He's not just a good shepherd. He's your shepherd. And sometimes it's hard for us, for some of us, maybe just for me, where it's like, man, there's some shame and there's some guilt and there's this insecurity where it's like, man, I can say the Lord is Sean's shepherd, but for me to sit and go, he's my shepherd, I don't know about that. I mean, if you knew what I did. Jesus died for me on account of three. One, two, three. Yes, he did. God loves me on the count of three. One, two, three. God loves Do you believe that? Yes, for God so loved the world, but he loves you. Yes, he's a good shepherd, but he's your shepherd. David said, the Lord is my shepherd. Listen, there are a lot of things in this world that we can say my about, that can be taken from us. My house, yeah, you, you might lose that one day. My car, you could lose that one day. Oh, my health, that could go. My business, my company, you could lose all of that. My reputation, someone could say something and cost you your reputation. My freedom, that could go away. My spouse, and so could that. I'm going to give you some really, really good news. It's actually the greatest news that you're ever going to hear in your life. When you 
pass from death to life. When you are saved, when you become a Christian, from the moment that happens, there will never be another day when you cannot say, my God, my Savior, my King. It will never be taken from you. That's how we strengthen ourselves in God, Hill City. Come on, Hill City. That's how we strengthen ourselves in God. That's what we want to float out of here on today. And that's what David did. So what does he do? He strengthens himself in God. Then he seeks the wisdom of Yahweh. And, God, and he's like, God, what do I do here? Everything's gone. Should I pursue and go get all this stuff back? And God says, yes, pursue the Amalekites. Go get them. So verse 10, David does just that. David pursued, he and, he and 400 men, 200 stayed behind who were too exhausted to cross the brook. So he, he had 600 soldiers, 400 of them went to fight, 200, 200 of them had been fighting, they had, they had wept till they couldn't weep, they were too tired to go. So David goes, he overtakes the Amalekites, he wins, he listened to God and he wins and he comes home, listen, get this, he comes home with everything. All the wives, all the kids, all the flocks, all the herds, and then some. They come home with all of it. And God delivered. But here's what happens. Some of the 400 men who went to fight with David, the Bible calls them wicked and worthless. Now, why would the Bible call them wicked and worthless? Because here's what they said. They said, those 200 men who stayed back, Give them their wives, give them their kids, but all the other stuff, they don't get it. We should just divide it between the 400 of us. Keep them out of it. And it's here we look inside of David's heart. And the first thing I want you to see is that inside of David's heart was grace. Inside of David's heart was grace. David's theology was a theology of grace is yours is yours so verse 22 let's look at it wickedness and worthlessness personified then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David said, Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except that each man led away has his wife and children, and let them depart. Do you want to, you want to know a way to be like a wicked and worthless person? Be graceless. Be graceless. See, here's what happened. I don't want you to miss this. We'll come back to this in a minute. These wicked and worthless, these graceless people, here's what they did. They had their eyes fixed upon their own works. They looked at the work they did at battle, and they fixed their eyes on their very own works. And when you fix your eyes on your own works, grace cannot be there. Just give them their wives and kids. Send them away. Give us what we fought for. Now listen, this makes perfect sense to a person who has never lifted their eyes up and cried out to the hills, where has my help come from? It makes perfect sense. But see, it was David who penned Psalms 121. 
I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. And David says to the men who are wanting everything for themselves, in verse 23, he says, But David said, You will not do so. You will not do so. My brothers, with what the Lord has given us. You see what he did there? It's not what we went and got. It's not what we went and fought for. It's what the Lord gave us. He has preserved us and given into our hand the band that came against us. So he gave to the 200 men who stayed back with the equipment. He gave to them. Why? Because he lived a theology of grace. So let's get practical. Let's talk. What am I saying when I'm saying grace? I don't want to assume things. Grace, when we get something that we do not deserve. It's, it's grace. The difference between grace and works is the difference between worship and idolatry. You cannot fix your eyes upon your works and keep your eyes fixed upon Jesus at the same time. And I'm just telling you, when I experience someone who is graceless, the only conclusion that I can draw is that they are far from the one who gave them grace. When you're near to the one who gave you grace and showed you grace, you will then show grace. Hill City, when the overwhelming thoughts of our mind, when the overwhelming thoughts of, of our heart is this, all that I have has been given to me by God. All that I have are gifts from God. If that is your posture, you will find yourselves ever on your knees in endless praise to God with full hearts of thankfulness. You will be graceful. And what are we thankful for? We're thankful for God's grace. Listen, this is the gospel effect on our lives. We must be people of grace because it's the only proper gospel response. If we're following Christ, we must live a theology of grace. Hill City, I didn't say we must have a theology of grace. That's the easy thing. We must live a theology of grace. If you don't live a theology of grace, you will soon be worshiping yourself. There's that theme of idolatry coming back. May we be people of grace. We see grace in David's heart. He defeats the Amalekites. Listen, meanwhile, on another battlefield, tragedy would be looming. It's the passage that I read at the beginning. Saul and his army were being overtaken by the Philistines. Saul was badly wounded. Remember the, 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 the archers, they, they had gotten to him. Arrows in him. He is about to die. He asked his armor bearer, kill me so the Philistines won't torture me. That's what he was asking. They're going to do nasty, brutal things to me. Kill me. Put me out of my misery. And the armor bearer feared. He's like, no, no, no. I will not do this. Saul kills himself. Listen, you can read in Chapter 31, the Philistines got to Saul. 
The Bible says they cut his head off. And they paraded him around like a trophy. I find it very interesting. Saul, far from God. He had malice in his heart. He had jealousy in his heart. He was far from God. And it's interesting to me that Israel's giant, who they wanted to be the king, died at the hands of the Philistines the same way that the Philistines' giant died at the hands of Israel. He had his head cut off. He died like an evil person died, Goliath. It's no coincidence. Saul dies, Jonathan dies. It's a dark, dark day for the people of God. Listen, this is humiliating. It is disastrous for Israel. But why did this happen? Guys, this happened because Saul turned his back on Yahweh. Saul drifted so far away from God and what God had for him that he had to die like an evil person. Then we get to 2 Samuel. So now we're into 2 Samuel chapter 1, and this takes us back to David. So we go to David, and where the Bible contrasts Saul with David. And then, then from Saul we go back to David, who was just victorious in war. But then we have this Amalekite boy that runs to David to deliver him some news in 2 Samuel chapter 1. And the Amalekite boy tells David of Saul's death. But this isn't the same thing that we just read in 1 Samuel. Listen to this. And the young man told David, by chance, if anybody starts a story by chance, just let a yellow flag come up. Oh, it's just by chance. By chance, I happened to be out on Mount Geboa where this big battle, I mean, just roamed into a battle. And there was Saul leaning on his spear, and behold, the chariots and the horsemen were close upon him. And when he, when he looked behind him, he saw me and called to me. And I answered, here I am. And he said to me, who are you? And I answered him, I am an Amalekite. And he said to me, stand beside me and kill me, for anguish has seized me, and yet my life still lingers. So I stood beside him and killed him. Because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the armlet that is on his arm, and I brought them here to you, my Lord. Wait a minute. We just read that Saul killed himself. What's going on here? It's pretty easy. Don't ever trust an Amalekite. Can't trust those guys. He's lying. But why? Well, before we get to that, it's like, okay, this dude comes and tells David, Saul's dead. Here's his crown and his armlet. But it says, then David, verse 11, then David took hold of his clothes. He tore them. And so did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul. And for Jonathan and his son and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. It seems like verse 13 should have come right after verse 10, right? Hey, he's dead. Here's his crown and armlet, my Lord. Then verse 13, and David said to the young man, 
Like it's like we have these two verses that are just like put in there. And, and I don't know what order that, that all this happened. It doesn't matter. Here's what I know. The writer wants you to pay attention to something that's in David's heart. David mourned properly. Why? Because it wasn't just that he had grace in his heart. David had love in his heart. So now we've seen grace in his heart. Now we see love in David's heart. Selfless love, I would even call it, right? Which is really, that's really the only real kind of love that can be expressed. David knew that Israel's loss and humiliation outweighed any personal gain that he might derive from Saul's death. And he wept and he fasted because he understood God's will. David loved God. David loved God's people. David loved Saul. And David wept. Now, we don't have time to get in this, but you can read chapter 1 of 2 Samuel, verse 19 through 27. He writes this lament about this event, and you can read that. And here's what he does in this lament. He actually buries Saul's offenses against him. Why? Because love and grace was in his heart. Saul wanted to kill him. He's been running for his life for years. And when he writes this lament, he says nothing of it. Hill City, can we look at fellow image bearers the way David did at Saul? See, you you can't read David's lament and not see that there's this element of forgiveness for this guy that haunted him for years. How was it that David had this grace and this love in his heart? I've said it once, I'm going to say it again, because he was close to his God. And it is God only who can provide that grace and that love in your heart. See, our proximity to our Father actually will affect our grace and our love in our heart. Saul was far from God. He had malice and hate and jealousy in his heart, but David still loved him. David loved Jonathan, his son. David loved Yahweh. There was love in his heart, but it wasn't just grace and it wasn't just love. We see something else that's in David's heart. Well, chapter 31 told us of, of 1 Samuel, how did Saul die? Suicide. He killed himself. He took his own life. This, this, this Amalekite comes in and he lies. He started his story by chance. That's like David's like, no, there's no by chance on the battlefield. I'm telling you, like, like, like he knew something was up, but he properly mourns first. But then we pick up in verse 13, and David said to the young man, where do you come from? Or who are you? And he answered, I'm a son of a sojourner, an Amalekite. And David said to him, now here we go. How is it that you were not afraid to put your hand out against the Lord's anointed? See, here's what we have here. This Amalekite writes himself into the narrative. It was a lie. Why would he do that? Because he miscalculated the heart of David. He didn't know that there was love in his heart. He didn't know that there was grace in his heart. The Amalekite thought that he could manipulate David to get a government job because he thought David would have been preoccupied with power the same way that he was, but David was preoccupied with God. 
So he, this, he brings a crown and an armlet. Hey, see, you're king now, my Lord. Can I have a job? David says, no, you should have been afraid to reach out your hand against the Lord's anointed. Listen, David had been in a cave with Saul, could have taken his life. And he says, no, no, no. He tells all his men, listen, I know you think I should kill him, but I will not do that to the Lord's anointed. Then look at David's armor bearer. Saul says, kill me, dude. Put me out of my misery. He says he feared greatly. No way. And this Amalekite should have had the same fear. So David said, something's up here. And what do we see third in the heart of David? We see what I call righteous justice. We see grace, we see love, and we see righteous justice. See, David wasn't concerned with gaining personal power. He's concerned with God and God's will. And then verse 15 said, then David called one of the young men and said, go execute him. This Amalekite who says that he killed God's anointed, go execute him. And he struck him down so that he died. And David said to him, your blood be on your head for your own mouth has testified against you saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. Now he didn't kill the Lord's anointed. David didn't know that. But here's the deal, that this Amalekite had to go. It was righteous justice. Second Samuel chapter four, we won't get into it today. David recounts this. He says, when one told me, when one told me of Saul's death, he thought he was bringing me good news. No, he wasn't. So let's talk just briefly before we close here about a healthy, saving fear. How was it that you were not afraid? See, David feared Yahweh. The armor bearer, the armor bearer greatly feared. So I want to talk to you about a healthy, saving fear. So it's fire season. Anybody else building fires? Sitting by campfires? Okay, two of us are. That's good. You and me, buddy. Listen, it's fire season. So I built a fire yesterday. Smells good. It's chilly outside. Well, my daughter, my daughter, listen, she, she doesn't have a healthy fear of this fire. It freaks me out. It does. I'm uptight anyway. Well, I go inside. I was, I was actually working on this. I go inside, and she comes in, and she's crying, and she had burned her fingers. She grabbed a stick, and her fingers were burned, and they were blistered. And I'm glad I wasn't out there to see it because I would have freaked out, but I am actually glad it happened because here's what it's going to do. It's going to create in her a very healthy fear, a healthy saving fear of this fire. And when the Bible talks about fearing, how are you not, how are you not fearing reaching out your hand against the Lord's anointed? There is a healthy saving fear that we must have. I'm not saying we walk around trembling fear, but listen, if you're going to be around a fire, you better respect it and not get careless. Fire is a great thing. It's a gift from God, but we must have a proper and healthy saving fear of it. And I would say the same is true for Yahweh. The Bible actually says it's the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And it was this wisdom that led David to have a fear of Yahweh. And it was Yahweh who put this righteous justice in David's heart. In his heart we see grace, we see love, we see righteous 
justice. David lived these out. Now here's the deal. On the horizon, like next week, we're going to see it. On the horizon for David. Are dark, listen, some dark days. David will become like Saul. He will not fear the Lord for a season of his life, and it will cost him dearly. David will need the very same grace and the very same love that he extended. He will experience the righteous justice of God. So let's, let's take this where we take it every week. We are not born with grace in our hearts. We are not naturally born with love in our hearts. We aren't born understanding the Father's will and actually then loving it. We're not born loving God. We aren't born loving God's people. We're actually born into sin, the Bible says. And this word, how did you not fear putting out your hand against the Lord's anointed? This word in the Hebrew is Mashiach. I'm probably pronouncing that a little bit off, but it's close enough that when you hear that, you're like, wait a minute. The word anointed, the, the Hebrew word Mashiach, it's where we get our word Messiah. When you translate that to Greek, it's called Christ. And Hill City, here is our reality. We actually did put out our hand against the Lord's anointed just by being born. See, Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one, he understood the Father's will just like David. He loved the Father just like David. He loved God's people just like David, and he wept just like David. But the difference is when we put our hands out against him, instead of God punishing us, it's, it's pretty weird. He, the anointed one actually took our punishment for putting out our hand against him. I want you to stand up. See, this anointed one that we put our hand against, he's our king. He's the one that we should fear. He's the one that we should love. He's the one that we should obey. But God ordered him to be killed on our behalf. And apart from our king, Jesus who shows us grace, apart from our King Jesus, who loved us enough to die for us. Apart from him, any love and any grace that's in our heart, it's fraudulent love and it's fraudulent grace. Any justice that might be in your heart or my heart, apart from Jesus Christ, it's fraudulent justice. But once you follow this king, once you give your life to this king, we have no other choice but to have hearts full of grace. We have no other choice but to have hearts full of love. We have no other choice but to have hearts full of righteous justice. It's the only proper gospel response. And that's what I want us to think about as we come to the table today. God's justice, his wrath that was poured out on the anointed one. You're going to see bread. It's going to be torn. That's his body. It's going to be dipped in a cup. That's the blood that was spilled upon our behalf. Let us not be 
idolaters this morning. Let us not look at our very own works and become people who worship the person they see in the mirror. We want to be people of grace who worship a king who did it all for us.